Welcome to the Filament Games Podcast, a show dedicated to game-based learning. Here are your hosts, Brandon Pitzer and Dan Norton. Welcome to the Filament Games Podcast. That's the name. I just yeah, it's a great name. I just coined it now. Yeah. This podcast is basically intended to give the world our take on gaming and game-based learning. And we'd basically like to create a forum where people can get familiar and comfortable with our somewhat radical ideas about good games and good game-based learning. But before we proceed into that actual discussion, we should probably introduce ourselves. I'm Brandon Pitzer. I'm the marketing director here at Filament Games. I'm Dan Norton. I'm... The chief creative officer of Philomic Games, and I'm also one of the founding partners. That is all true. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, the idea here is uh, for us to, again, create a conversation with our, our audience, our customer base, and also, you know, people just who, who are interested in games in general. Yeah. How about that? Yeah. So maybe, maybe a thing to go into a little bit is like, yeah, why would you want to listen to this podcast? Uh, yes. Especially, I think, since we are a learning game company teachers and tech coordinators and, you know, people in games and learning research, obviously those people are like, okay, you know, it's plausible that they're already bought in. But like for that last category, you noted, like people just interested in games, like what slice of those people would we really want to be talking to and with? And I think that's folks who probably grew up with games and really love games, um, but are interested in seeing the medium of games be treated as a medium that has not even just as like as a serious medium, but right. just as a medium that can express things beyond blood spatter, really, yes. right? Yes. Uh, uh, you know, our our interests obviously at Film are very focused on trying to create games that have a very uh, real outcome of change on its users, but we're up to and interested in all sorts of impacts of what play can do for people's lives up and down the board. So. So if you're none of those categories, you can just stop now and uh, reclaim a, a chunk of your life. Um, <laughs> but if you are one of those categories, I hope you stick around and, and enjoy at least three or four of the things we say. Yeah. And, you know, my personal point of view is that, you know, I am definitely a 90s kid. I grew up in the 90s where there was an awful lot of negative stigma around games. Games were blamed for a lot of uh, societal problems. And so I think... What really inspires me about what we do at Filament is that the games that we're doing, they are creating, they're intended to serve a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. They create good in the mm-hmm. world, objectively speaking. So that that also is something that I think people could be excited about. I, one thing, actually, I do want to clarify to you, you know, when I said blood spatter earlier, it's not that we're, or I guess I should probably just speak for myself, I'm not opposed to games with the spattering of blood. I play a <laughs> lot of them. Um, it's just that as a medium, I think that there's a broader set of things that are possible and the popular gaming, you know, occasionally there's giant spikes of innovation, which is great. But, you know, I think especially as the medium sort of viewed as a whole, it can get very homogenous and it cycles around, uh, a few pretty fixed genres, Mm -hmm. most of which involve sports or shooting. Right. And, uh, I think it's just... At least for me, particularly, you know, I'm a game designer. So like from a certain perspective, those rule sets just get kind of old to me. So I'm always interested in new, interesting ways to rearrange and rethink about play. And learning games has been, you know, a decade plus long well of not yet boring right. for that. So <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, you know, I think it's like any other medium, really. It's like if you think of film, there's there's grindhouse, there's pulpy mm-hmm. kind of film, and then there's film that's dedicated to a more artistic or thematic purpose. Mm-hmm. And those things all have a place within like the greater constellation of of consumption that you can that right. you can experience. Quickly, what you can expect from the Film and Games podcast are kind of a a variety of rotating segments. On occasion, we'll bring a team member in from the studio, and we can talk about what it's like to make video games and learning games more specifically. We'll interview various luminaries from the education space, folks that we've worked with, folks that we admire. Um, We'll also just kind of chat about what we're playing, what kind of games we've been interacting with, how we feel about them in terms of good games, uh, games for good, serious games, game-based learning, all that. Um, we'll, we'll kind of try to identify the cross-sections between commercial games and the kind of stuff that we talk about. On occasion, we will actually uh, design a learning game within the podcast, and we'll you know lean on our designers for that. We'll talk about what's new in game-based learning and the world of education technology. We'll interview teachers and other educators, even up to the administrative district level, just to see uh, kind of what their thoughts are about game-based learning and, and why that's uh, efficacious uh, in the world of education. And then, you know, a variety of other segments that we're excited to develop and explore. So that's kind of what you can expect from the Film and Games Learning Podcast. I almost cut you off with efficacious and education to say, which is, you know, as we like to say, educacious. But I didn't, didn't do it. It's worth noting, too, that our rotating segments, not only do we rotate different segments, but each segment itself rotates. Like, we are on a large Lazy Susan inside the recording studio, and we spin, I would say, about a revolution per minute. Uh, so it's a, pretty, it's a pretty exciting innovation that you can all look forward to. It's true. Yeah. Yes. We get, I mean, a variety of breathtaking vistas yeah. <laughs> as we rotate around the room. Yeah, the chords get snarled up and we have to restart every 10 minutes or so, but I think it's worth it. It's worth it. So you actually have alluded to the fact that you've been doing this for 10 years. Um, so I think I would like to quickly talk about just the history of filament. What were you up to pre-filament? Oh, you know, uh, rummaging through trash cans and <laughs> resorting, you know, bringing the recycles to, you know, for a half a penny piece. All right. Um, okay, no. Um, <laughs> just so viewers know, like, as you might imagine, I've explained the history of film many times before to various people because it happened. And, uh, and so I'm going to maybe slip into a boring spiel mode, and I've already pre-tasked Brandon with snapping me out of the the monologue so uh i'll get started um so yeah film it was about founded about 10 years ago and prior to that uh myself dan white and alex stone who are the three founding partners uh we uh, all worked at an online learning research center called the adl academic collab it was a uw system affiliated uh research organization that did ed tech poke roundy stuff and while there, Dan White was in the master's program here at UW-Madison. That was a brand spanking new games and learning program at that time called GAPS, now called GLS. And yeah, basically we're in this ed tech place that had just connected to uh, a newly founded graduate research program around games and learning. 
and uh, it was really exciting. I've always been a designer. I've always thought about things in a systemy, structural way with some blend of aesthetics, right? So I've always I've always been drawn to like thinking about how things work in terms of process and inputs and outputs. It's just like usually that's disadvantaged. Like it's hard to like get through your day when you try and think about everything as a system. But for this job in particular, it's pretty good. Um, and I've always loved games. So when uh, I worked at the Online Learning Research Center, you know, I, I joined there because I was like, oh, wow, it's really interesting to think about architecting learning. But games wasn't really yet part of the mix. It wasn't until I really ran into that research program with Dan White and the professors there at the time, uh, uh, Kurt Squire and Constance Steinkuhler, Richard Halverson, Jim's G, uh, you know, they really had a big impact. I'd always sort of put a wall around whether or not I could make games. I was like, well, I can't make games. You know, that's for... <laughs> that's crazy. It's crazy. No one makes games. It's like this horrible, you know, soul-crushing industry that, you know, you know, people line up to just to be obliterated by, and it's just not feasible. So right. when I actually saw that there's this avenue, not only to make games, but to make interesting games, and not only to make interesting games, but games that would help people, it was just mm. ridiculously exciting. Mm. Um, so... You know, some cards got shuffled around as that became realer and realer. Ultimately, White, myself, and then a little later, Stone left uh, the collab to start our own company. A big part of that was James Paul G. telling us to. He's like, you guys should start your own company. Mm. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, that's a good pro tip. If Jim, Jim G. tells you to do a thing, you should always do that thing. <laughs> that has, like, never steered me wrong in a decade so far. So. Yeah, so we started the company. We worked on our own internal prototypes, which is, you know, a fancy way of saying, like, no one's paying you. And uh, ultimately, you know, started the machine, found some, some grant opportunities, got partnered with some organizations, and then away we went. You know, it, you you talk about kind of those early days where you're working on prototypes. Mm-hmm. Um, what was what was kind of the thing that you know made it a real business? What what was was there a turning point where you kind of had mm. you went from prototype phase to like, all right, this is actually a thing now, and we're kind of being carried away by it in some ways. Yeah, that just sort of happens over and over every year. Mm. I remember when we when we registered as an LLC, I was like, this is it. <laughs> we are the real deal. And then when we got business cards, whoa, hey, right. look at that. You can hand these to people. They can contact you via them. That's real business. It's distinguished card stock is what that is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, you know, hiring an employee, uh, just, you know, moving into a space, moving into a bigger space, working on more than one project at a time. So like, And it's still now, right? We. Like filament moved into what I just I always call our fancy new digs in this yeah. last year, and that was like another like. Well, now, <laughs> now we're like a real company. <laughs> so I don't I don't think it ever goes away. There's like a million little transitions of change. Okay, and we've been very blessed that they've mostly been forward moving. Uh, but yeah, it's it's hard. Certain amount of just faking it. Right, we're just I'm just a, I'm still me. Right. Right. And uh, right. there's no like, uh, yeah, there's no like switch that gets flipped. It's like, okay, all of a sudden real business. You suddenly feel like an expert in total right. control of yeah. your life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. If you, if, if you know how to flick that switch, I would love to know. That would be exciting. 
Can you talk a little bit about some of the early early deals that you secure that really got expanded presence of, of the content that Filmbin actually creates? Sure, absolutely. One of the first breakthroughs for us was uh, Dan White presented one of our internal prototypes at a, a conference about serious games. And in the audience was a gentleman from the Kaufman Foundation. And he had been working with uh, National Geographic's The Jason Project, which is a, a science curriculum company that uses like rock star scientists as sort of their thematic anchor to introduce science ideas. It's really cool stuff. So we'd made this game about ocean science. Uh, it was a science fiction game about ocean science, and it was a you know, ridiculously duct-taped-together prototype. But mm-hmm. at that exact moment, the Jason Project happened to be working on their next ocean science curriculum. So the Kauffman Foundation's like, aha, peanut butter and chocolate identified. Okay. So that was sort of a, one of the first big things. It was like a way we went on, on developing an adaptation of our 3D ocean science game into a Jason game. Though eventually it was called Resilient Planet, and it's still really a very pretty, and it's good. Yeah, I mean, it's a nice title. We made it a long time ago, and you know, it's just a certain amount of you expect wear and tear, and you know, usually it's a sign that you're getting better at something when you hate the things you used to make. Right. Um, and I do hate a fair amount of things I made, but that actually holds up pretty well. So that's I'm very proud of that. Yeah. So that was probably one of the big first steps. That was certainly a large magnitude of of like long-term growth for the company. Like, well, you know, this is a fair amount of money to make a very ambitious thing and we need to ramp up our size and capabilities and, you know, learn how to make things really sure. quickly. <laughs> and uh, uh, another giant leap for us, which is, you know, something that's still with us today is, uh, once again, Jim G., the guy I mentioned before, uh, who was a professor at UW, is now at Arizona State, uh, connected us with the iCivics project, which is a online civics curriculum. It's a game-based curriculum, and so uh, it's, it was started by Sandra Day O'Connor, and it's staffed by ridiculously cool people. Mm. You know, Jim was a huge proponent for them to use a game-based learning strategy, and and Jim also introduced us to them as, at the time, what you know, a potential developer for them to use. But from the get-go, from that, like we've you know we've we've been making games with them since, and iCivics now is a really cool, large library of really interesting games about civics that we partnered with on. So I'm going to actually switch to something a little bit less uh, contained by the education world. I would like to know what game designers inspire you. It's a good question. It's actually not a very gripping list like will Wright, of course mm-hmm. um and and for listeners who are not acquainted with will Wright, what, oh, sure. what's his body of work uh sim sim x yeah is probably the easiest way to sum it up you okay. know um in particular sim city is a game I, I i reference again and again it's a touch point of um you know a giant stack of amazing great game design decisions and sim ant is a game i fantasize about playing or a new version of you know probably once a year i'm like oh man a new sim ant so like, sim ant 2015 so i want swim ant 2015 so bad <laughs> yeah um i've always loved will Wright because uh his games to me always are an expression of not just you know was a thing that someone would want to play but they're clearly were an exploration for him on how to think about a problem in the first place they're like an expression of how to think about a system and that's brilliant to me. Um, so Will Wright's games have always been really wonderfully, elegantly 
composed system structures that actually reward you by playing them by unfolding new pieces of the system. It's I mean it's it's, it's just just great and it's just I don't know it's very easy to personally feel the appreciation for the structure that's coming from that side through what he's made. I don't actually know this, but I feel like we share a similar sentiment of a, a kind of similar blend of like appreciation for systems and rules, mm-hmm. but then also a nice appreciation for subversion inside rules. Mm. Like you can do naughty things inside the structures that Will Wright builds. Right. And those are, I, I feel like he enjoys that just as much as I do. Right. Like it's a, it, it it's not cheating, but it's actually thinking of the rules and using them in a new artful way. So right. that's a really big one for me. Another boring one, Shigeru Miyamoto. A part of me feels like I should be bringing up like really obscure designers. Mm. They're like, mm-hmm. oh, wow, that's, man, that's pretty controversial. <laughs> He's into some fringe designers. Right, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, actually, I think uh, Mr. Miyamoto has like risen more. I mean, I've always loved his games. I've always been a huge fan of his games. But in terms of his approach to design, it's been something that's weighed more on me as, as my career has progressed. Because I think... He spends a lot of time thinking about the emotional experience for the player, mm. like how to make every sound, every piece, every 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 reaction, every little corner of the game to f- feed the player's experience and make it a little bit more wonderful. And I also love that he really has, you know, especially if you look at like just little corners of his career, like he makes games that are about his interests. And so similar to Will Wright, you know, exploring what he loves through the act of making games and that so that's that's something especially the zelda games mm-hmm. i think are i mean they're just so important for everything that everyone anyone knows about making great level progression yep. scaffolded opening structures mm-hmm. and uh how to combine progression with exploration it's just like you know him and his team like made the blueprint for how that's good yeah Oh, I don't know his name, so I'm going to decide. I don't actually get any credit for this, too. But in the last year or two, I, you know, I try and think about like what are other new, exciting design concepts. And certainly, Papers, Please, mm-hmm. that, that game, I knew his name. I read an entire article from him, and I was like, this is great. His name is Lucas Pope. Yes. 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 That's the gentleman. Yeah. Um, it's great work, sir. Good job, Lucas. Amazing Pope. work. I, as you can imagine, I like making games about weird things, and so to have a game like Papers Please emerge on the landscape that is a game about processing paperwork, uh, that was really impactful for me. I was like, "Look at this! This is great. People are playing this on purpose. It's a game about sorting passports." And people were like, <laughs> "I can't get enough of this." Um, and I think part of it is just the shock, like I can't believe I'm doing this, mm-hmm. right? And then how uncompromising the aesthetics and the interface are be like, yeah, no, this is as ugly as it is. Right. And you are doing this and it's going to happen. So certainly that was a big piece of it. But honestly too, I think a really a big part for me, and again, another sort of those like moments where I can reflect on the types of games I make and whether I can get better. um, uh, A really unexpected and sensitive use of narrative, you know, how to, how to weave stories of people and actually move a, a narrative progression through a game that's built out of, uh, some verbs and systems, you know, you don't see it. Oh, I didn't see it coming when I played it. I mm-hmm. didn't expect to give a hoot about any, uh, anyone inside that game. Um, and that was, uh, yeah. So when my like family member died, you know, I started over, it's like unacceptable. Right. That's not, that's not fair. 
Yeah. So. Yeah, and that, I mean that game is. I mean the pressure to keep your family alive is relentless, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's right. And, you know the cards are definitely stacked against you. Yeah, and you get to some of those trafficking issues with you know the people coming through the line being like uh, like real moral dilemmas right through processing paperwork, and it's uh, it's uh, really a huge amount of unexpected depth to a game, and and normally I I mean I think historically I have. I thought of myself as sort of anti-narrative. I was like, narrative's a boring tool that games use as a crutch mm. uh, to ignore making good mechanics. And that is, that's, you know, reckless youth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was so callous then. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, that's the thing. It's like I've loved many games with, with great narratives over the years. And I think I've, but I've always sort of steered away from it in my own design principles because it's not unique to games. So it falls under that. Well, it's, if it's not unique, it's not interesting. So right. why futz with it? But I've I've definitely uh, I I was wrong. <laughs> how to use and in papers please is a great example. And now how, that's recorded. Now yeah, we're... yeah, documented um, <laughs> for time immemorial. Yeah, you can use narrative sensitively and intelligently inside a game in a way that is innovative and have a real impact on players at the same time. So. I want to ask one more question of you. What are your long-term aspirations for film and games? Ooh. Yeah. This is where I get to, like, reveal my surprising lack of ambition. (laughs) (laughs) Get ready. You'll be disappointed, Brandon. Uh, Uh, This is an inspiring leader I'm sitting across from. Yeah, (laughs) I love working with people. I love solving interesting problems. I want to continue doing those things. And... That essentially is my goal. I see a successful and happy filament as a filament that continues making interesting, impactful games, working with new organizations and people to like explore new ideas and try and make new exciting things, and then continuing to staff and interact with just brilliant, wonderful people. I, I just don't... I don't have any. I will take that as a personal compliment. Yeah, you should, Brandon. You should. Uh, that's kind of that's kind of what I want to do. I don't I don't have a a personal growth strategy or or even uh, any kind of world domination goals. I think I think you know as we work with more organizations and and we talk more and more and educate people about how games can be used. I th- I think it's certainly wonderful to see our games and other good learning games used in more and more places. So uh, certainly a big part of Filament is continuing the fight for improving education. But I don't have that like on the on the wall as a trophy I want to hang. I'm not going to be like, well, we fixed education, <laughs> right? And it's a process that we're happy to participate in. Right. You know, like there's there's a lot of there's a lot of pieces to that. So my goal for the future of Filament is to keep on, I guess, fighting the good fight and working with cool people on both sides of the org and uh, making exciting, interesting things that make the world a better place. Thanks for listening to the Film and Games Podcast. If you'd like to hear more about games, game-based learning, and well-informed, accurate observations about sports and such, subscribe today on Stitcher or iTunes.